Psalm 92. Working our way through the Psalms. Psalm 92. You'll notice at the very beginning it says Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. A song for the Sabbath day. This was a specific psalm that was often sung on the Sabbath day, a specific day, a specific instance. That Sabbath day, it's a day of rest. Once a week on the Sabbath, it's a day that looks forward to an even greater rest one day when all of God's promises are fulfilled. And we long for that day. But this is a song for the Sabbath. Follow along as I read Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the loop and on the harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. As you'd expect, it's a glorious psalm, a psalm filled with praise to God. And yet at the same time throughout that psalm, there's a contrast that we'll get to with the wicked and the righteous. But even reading through that psalm, you may have, you, you probably noticed that just the, the joy that is there. It does not strike you as a psalm written by a, a psalmist who is down in the depths. But it strikes you as a psalm written from someone who is up high and there looking down at all that God has done. It's interesting that, as I mentioned before, it's a song for the Sabbath. And it really kind of fits that if you think about it. Uh, even thinking about the songs that we choose for Sunday. right? You start out with a song. You don't want that song, the first song that you sing on a Sunday, you don't want it to be slow. You don't want it to put people to sleep. You want it to be a song that proclaims the truth loudly and boldly right from the beginning. In fact, there's been some Sundays where Todd will come to me and be like, hey, can we switch these two songs? Because this second song we're singing is a little bit more upbeat than the first song, and it would just work better. That's kind of what this psalm is. It is a psalm that just explodes in praise. This is who God is. This is what he has done. This is what that means for us. 
And it sets the stage, if you will, for the rest of the worship on that Sabbath day, that day of rest. It gives you something to meditate on. It starts out with just the reason for praise. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. This is a good thing. Not only is it, is it good as in this is um, you know, a good versus a bad thing, but this is the right thing to do. This is the right response. This is appropriate. It is appropriate to give thanks to the Lord. It is appropriate to sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is right. This is good. For you are worthy. What does this giving thanks look like? This praise is to your name. It's to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Every morning. Every night. Specifically, the focus is here on the Sabbath. Starting the day and ending the day. But it's more than just morning and night. It is possibility and faithfulness. It is that the psalmist, as he wakes up in the morning, the first thing he does is praises the Lord. And then as he gets to the end of that day, he looks back over that day and he sees God is still worth praising. He is still faithful. The things that I prayed this morning, they are still true. Every morning and every night because God is still faithful. I will declare your loving kindness in the morning because I found you to be loving kindness. Loving, I, found, I knew your loving kindness yesterday. And I will proclaim it today. And then at night I will proclaim your faithfulness because I found you to be loving. To, I, I knew your loving kindness again today. Morning and evening. Again, I, I mentioned a, a few nights ago, or a few weeks ago, when we were having our um, fireside chat, and we were talking a little bit about Sunday morning and Sunday night services, and why do we have an evening service, and, and I mentioned, you know, I don't, I don't think it's something that we have to have, it's not a necessity, but I think it is a good thing. And I think one of the reasons why I think it is a good thing is because you look in Scripture and you do see, uh, a, what's the word I'm looking for? pattern, if you will, you know, even in Israel, morning and evening, morning and evening. Is it a rule, hard and fast, we have to have Sunday morning and Sunday evening? No, it's not. Is it a bad thing? No, it's not. It's a good thing. At least once a week to start the day together as a church and to end the day together as a church, to proclaim God's loving kindness in the morning and to proclaim his faithfulness at evening together. This is a good thing. Verse 3, on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the harp, with our harmonious sound. Again, this is not something that's just thrown together. Hurry up, come on, everyone, let's go. I mean, this is, there is thought that has gone in. There is a beauty in this music. There is purpose in this. Because God is worthy of beautiful worship. He is worthy of the purpose that goes into it. Why? Verse 4. For, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. 
I will triumph in the works of your hands. You have made me glad. Turn with me back to Psalm 90, verse 15. Psalm 90, looking at the eternality of God and the frailty of man. When you come to verse 15, it says this, Make us glad according to the days which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. The psalmist here is recognizing that life is short and life is difficult. But his prayer here is, Lord, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. In the end, let it all be worth it. That prayer is answered here. Verse, chapter 92, verse, or Psalm 92, verse 4. You, Lord, what has he done? You have made me glad. I have seen that. I have seen that come to pass. You have made me glad. It is all worth it. Specifically here, again, this is in the context of a Sabbath day. A day of rest as they meditate on these truths and as they look forward to the ultimate Sabbath when God comes. When Jesus Christ comes, when his kingdom is established. And all of God's promises are fulfilled. You have made it worth it. You will make it worth it. I will triumph in the work of your hands. Lord, how great are your works. Again, the reason for praising God, just look at who he is and what he has done. The great works of, of creating, of caring. His providence. Thoughts are very deep. God knows what he is doing. It may not make sense to us, but our thoughts are shallow. God's thoughts are deep. He sees the big picture. He knows what he's doing. He's not thinking minutes ahead. He's thinking eternities ahead. He knows exactly what he's doing. As you come to verses 6 and 7, these kind of shift in focus. And there's really a contrast here. In fact, there'll be a contrast really here through the end of, of uh, Psalm 92. And the contrast now is between the wicked and the righteous. Uh, and even, even God is in there as well. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand. The senseless and the fool is those who deny God. Those who do not know God. Those who do not respond rightly or appropriately to give thanks to God, to fear the Lord. They are senseless, or as some uh, versions put it, they are a brute. Spurgeon says this, a man will either be a saint or a brute. He has no other choice. His type must be adoring seraph or the ungrateful swine. That's it. You will either recognize the greatness of God and believe and humble yourself under him, or you will deny the greatness of God and you will not believe. You, are either, you will either respond rightly or wrongly to the Lord. The senseless man, he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. If you come to verse 7, this is an interesting verse because it's a completely different perspective than, than the psalmists so often have in the psalms. 
So often in the Psalms, the psalmists look and they say, God, why are the wicked flourishing? Why do your enemies rise up and, and they are flourishing and yet, yet we, your people, we are struggling. Where are your promises? Why aren't you fulfilling that? And yet here the psalmist says, he looks around, he sees them flourishing. And what's his response? It's, they're going to be destroyed. The psalmist here sees this rightly from the right perspective. He's looking at it with an eternal perspective. Yes, they may spring up like grass now. But they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed. They're just grass. It is so flimsy. It is so weak. A child can pick it. Contrasted with that in verse 8, right in the very middle of the psalm, is really the, the big idea of the psalm. Contrasted with the weakness the frailty of the wicked is God. You, Lord, are on high forevermore. You are on high. You are ruling in the heavens forever. Contrasted with the wicked who are here today and gone tomorrow, the Lord reigns and he reigns forever. From everlasting to everlasting for behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies, they shall perish. Again, that reminds us of another psalm. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Here you have this contrast that you see here in Psalm 92. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he doeth shall prosper. But what about the ungodly? The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's the perspective of the psalmist. They might flourish now. They might rise up like grass and, and, and flourish. But they're going to be gone in a season like that. They shall perish, but my God will be on high forevermore. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered like a defeated army that runs off in a million different directions with no order, with no purpose, with no future. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I've been anointed with fresh oil. That, that is a phrase that just doesn't have the same punch today as it probably did in that day. And when someone says, man, my horn, I have been exalted like a wild ox. You know, Amen. Praise the Lord. That is exactly how I felt this morning. <laughs> just doesn't have that same. But the idea here, the idea of a horn, it, it represents power. Right? Look at a bull. You see those horns. That's pretty powerful. It's the idea of power. You have exalted me like a wild ox. God, while the wicked flee, while they are scattered, while their ultimate end is, is destruction, they will perish, God exalts his people. He gives them victory in battle. He, he gives them power.
power, divine strength. I've been anointed with fresh oil. The idea there is, is refreshing. Really what you have here in verse 10 is divine strength and right alongside it, divine blessing. God has strengthened me and God has blessed me. Unlike the wicked who scatter, unlike the wicked who will perish, unlike the wicked who will be destroyed, unlike the wicked who are foolish, they are senseless, they are brutes. But those who fear the Lord have divine strength and divine blessing. They see victory, as verse 11. My eye has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. My God will deliver me. He's a God who keeps his promises. He is faithful. Every morning I have woken up and I have praised God. And every night when I go to bed, I find him to be faithful. That's the testimony of the psalmist. And so even if an army rises up against me again today, the God who's been faithful for every single day, he will keep being faithful. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Here you have a direct, um, looking back to verse 7, direct comparison. Right Again, the the frailty of the wicked who spring up like grass. What about the righteous? Well, they're like a palm tree. They're like a cedar. Just think of that contrast. The grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow. The cedar, which takes a long time to grow, but it is strong. Its roots go deep. It is powerful. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. That's interesting. That phrase in there in verse 13, those who plant in the house of the Lord. In the last two Psalms, in the first verse, we see something similar. Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Psalm 91, 1, he who dwells in the secret place. Here in verse 13 of 92, those who are planted, those who dwell there in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God, they will flourish in the courts of our God. This is the, the one from uh, Psalm 1, who is planted beside the rivers of water, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but delights in the law of the Lord. is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What about this one? They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Those are not often words that you associate with old age, fresh and flourishing. But those who are in the Lord are fresh and they are flourishing. The idea here is, is not just even old age here in this life, but, but really it's even into eternity. It's eternal life. 
I mean, they will go on forever and they will be fresh and they will be flourishing. Because God will be faithful. You cannot outlive the everlasting nature of God's character and of God's reign. You will bear fruit in old age because God will be faithful throughout your whole life. You should be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. Even in their old age, as they are fresh, as they are flourishing in the Lord, they are proclaiming, God is upright. He is righteous. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That is the testimony of the one who has lived a long life and found God to be faithful. Every morning as they wake up and they praise the Lord, and every night as they go to bed and they have found him to be faithful for another day. Through 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Even if they could live to 900 years. Even as you get into eternity, a millennial from now, you will find God to be faithful. That's who he is. Psalm 92, I, I don't know about you, but for me as I was studying it, this is, a, this is a psalm that is just encouraging. It just lifts my spirits. God is faithful. After so many psalms where the psalmist seems to have the wrong perspective, the perspective that I'm so often prone to, where are you, God? This psalmist gets it. And I think that's why they probably sang this often on the Sabbath. This is one they often return to because they need this perspective. We need this perspective. Yes, the wicked might rise up and they might seem to flourish. But what's their end? It is destruction. But your end is glory. All right, for a paper... For one of the classes I'm taking, I have to write uh, a sermon. I'm reworking a sermon that I wrote uh, a while ago and preached here in Psalm or in Romans 8. And this psalm constantly brought me back to Romans 8:18. 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the testimony of this psalmist. Yes, my enemies are flourishing. Yes, life is sometimes hard. But my God is good. They might rise up like the grass, but I'm like a cedar with God. Their end is destruction. And the sufferings of this present time, no matter what that looks like, no matter what it is I'm walking through, it can't even be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. They cannot even be compared with what God is doing. That's the testimony of this psalmist. I pray that, Lord willing, that will be my perspective and testimony this week. And I pray, Lord willing, that will be your perspective and testimony this week. That you will find God to be faithful every morning and every night.